Hello everyone, and welcome to Cosmic Conversations. My name is Aman Wadwa. I'm part of Kalen's marketing team, and I will be your host. On this podcast, we will bring on friends from Kalen and across the tech industry to talk about their struggles and triumphs, the lessons they've learned, and the insights they've gained along the way. Through these conversations, we hope you will gain inspiration and practical tips to help you succeed in your own careers and personal life. In each episode, we dive deep into the personal and professional journeys of our guests. So whether you're interested in the cloud native industry or are just looking for some inspiration, we invite you to tune in to hear our guests' stories and discover how you too can achieve your goals and reach for the stars. Today, I'm thrilled to introduce our very first guest, Ginger Sietschlag, who is Kalen's Chief Operating Officer and has been with the company for just shy of two years. In her role as COO, Ginger leads the company's operations, ensuring that business functions from engineering to talent and customer solutions operate smoothly and to their full potential. Ginger's career trajectory is an inspiring story of resilience and determination. She had originally wanted to become a wildlife biologist, but life had other plans and she was pulled into the world of technology after a history teacher suggested she take a computer programming class. Despite dropping out of college due to uncontrollable circumstances, Ginger worked extremely hard to get a mentorship and an entry position at a tech company while she was already working two jobs, on a help desk and in analytics reporting. Her incredible work ethic and foresightedness have brought her tremendous success in tech, from leading teams of engineers and developers across world-class organizations to becoming a founding partner at a software development firm. To all of us that know her or have had the opportunity to work with her, Ginger exemplifies seizing opportunities, building confidence, not letting hardships determine your destiny, and having fun in the process. In meetings, you'll undoubtedly hear her crack a couple of jokes and provide a wealth of wisdom and insights along the way. And when she's not busy leading Kalen's operations, Ginger enjoys spending time with her family, traveling, and going out to experience new things with her friends. Today, Ginger will be sharing her insights and experiences with us and inspiring us all towards a better and more equitable world. I've personally known and worked under Ginger's leadership for a few years, and her strength and bias for action have been unendingly inspiring to me. I can't think of anyone better to kick off this podcast. Ladies, gentlemen, and non-binary folks, please join me in welcoming Ginger Seachlock. Wow, I don't think I've ever had such a good intro. <laughs> well, we're oh. very excited to have you as our first Yes. Uh, thank you for agreeing to doing this despite your busy schedule. Of course. <laughs> so to kick us off, I, I thought we'd start with an icebreaker. Um, so why don't you tell us a boring fact about yourself? Oh, they, <laughs> I never had that question before. Um, oh, um, I love Antique Roadshow. Um, I used to binge watch it and it was like the price is right and historical, uh, uh, learning all at the same time. And I couldn't get enough of it. I probably seen every episode, including the British version uh, out there. <laughs> that's amazing. I wouldn't say that's boring though. I feel like a lot of us have watched shows that we call our guilty pleasure. People on there and then my, myself and it definitely, you know, like, um, it's, it's a little bit of a different age bracket that typically watches it, but I own it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And so the good thing is we've gotten everything boring about you out of the way with that question. So now let's dive into what everyone is looking forward to listening to. 
Um, so first thing we wanted to talk to you about is your daily life. Um, mm-hmm. What are you working on nowadays? What are things that are exciting you and that you're passionate about? Um, I, I think, um, you know, as you mentioned, like travel is really huge. Um, I, um, you know, got to a point where I was able to afford travel and I started making it a, a part of my, you know, regular life, making sure I went on one or two big trips a year. And then when I got custody of my my niece and became a parent, that became a little bit more challenging. And then COVID happened about six months later, which made it like obsolete. And then, you know, over the past, you know, almost two years, travel has, you know, become back on the menu. And um, she's now getting old enough too, where we can, we can do those things. So I have um, a trip uh, planned in um, um, in a, a month, and we're a little more than a month in June. We're going to try a little bit of um, working and um, taking some time off uh, in Europe. And I'm hoping that I can do that a bit more of mixing those two, so that you're not waiting till you're retired to to essentially you know live and experience uh, life. So I've been planning a bit of that trip in my spare time. That's awesome. Where, where are you planning to go in Europe? Going to going to stay in the UK. Uh, that's where I'm going to kind of, you know, um, uh, try to get some things done and meet with friends and then going to go to France and to Paris and then going to Croatia and Amsterdam. Wow, that's an exciting trip. <laughs> Paris, <laughs> Amsterdam, beautiful places. <laughs> I Yes, I, I've been to a couple of them before, but I've never been to Croatia and I love Game of Thrones. So I'm excited to see, you know, where they they filmed it. Oh, I believe Night's Landing, isn't that like a yes, place? Yes, yes, yeah, place? yeah. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. That'll Was be it fun. King's Landing? Night's Landing, one, one of those. I don't know. <laughs> King's Landing, right. That's yeah. right. King's Landing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And what about on your on the on the professional side? What are you working on at Kaland or externally? Yeah, recently, in my the, the thing that I'm working on that I'm most excited about is our next phase of learning and development. Um, I'm really passionate about people, um, you know, accelerating their careers and the different ways they learn and how we can help them get there and not trying to make it too hard. Um, it's, it's really, um, I've seen good and mostly bad on trying to help people, uh, identify a learning path, you know, like they say they want to go to the next, uh, level of, of whatever that career is. You don't necessarily have a lot of, um, specific things to do. You're like, can, how can I check these things off? And so we're going to try really hard to make it as easy as possible, um, along with um, the way we support people when they are onboarded or when they're on the bench and they, they're having professional development time to, to really accelerate their growth. So that's what I'm trying to, to spend my extra time on and probably most passionate and excited about. That's amazing. Do you sense that a part of your passion for this comes from the experiences you've had over your career and the growth? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been lucky to have people who have inspired me and, and took the time to mentor me. And most of it was on the job, along with just like scrappiness and watching and learning and stuff. And um, I think it, it really makes a difference on it and not just like, oh, yeah, here, go, you know, read these things, take this course like really help try to guide them because not only is it um, more um, engaging, it also like just gives a sense of like somebody else believes in you. You're like, I'm not going to just, you know, make you read this thing. I'm actually going to, you know, support you. Um, you know, we, we recently launched what we are calling Kaylin Navigators was a mentorship uh, support program. And it's just getting off 
but I'm really excited about it because I do think there's so much of just like having like a buddy system or just other people to kind of bounce things off of, or how is this going? Or what would you do with, uh, you know, what, what approach would you take on that? Like it, it, so much is about confidence, um, you know, throughout the, the, the process versus just like the, the book reading. Could you tell us a little bit about mentors that you've had in your uh, past that have helped you gain that confidence and gain that courage to go beyond what you thought were your bounds? Maybe the best place to start here is to uh, maybe go back to where your career started. Um, tell us about like how you, how, how, what did you do in school? How was your experience then? What were you wanting to pursue then? And uh, how that led towards your career in tech? Yeah, I would almost even like before I went to college, um, the fact that somebody helped me get to college and made a big difference because um, I um, ended up um, on my own since I was 15. My, my parents um, um, couldn't take care of me and I had to, to live on my own and essentially get myself into high school and, you know, like get a job and you know, try to pay for rent and do different things. And so even like the simple process of how to apply for college or like um, knowing that uh, what, what, what it took to get grants and things like that, like I didn't know and there was nobody to help me. I didn't have any parents or, or otherwise. And I was uh, staying with a family that um, uh, was kind of helping out while I was uh, saving money for school. And she, I, I wasn't discouraged. Like I was like, Oh God, I don't know what to do or how to do it. And I'm afraid I'm not going to be able to um, uh, like, why bother kind of thing. And she had sat with me, filled out all the applications um, and just kind of told me what, you know, to expect, what to do. Um, even um, another family when I was in high school um, had encouraged me to take a, um, a, like a trial course at a local college. They were a, uh, professor there. And so they got me in, even though I was in high school, just so I can get experience to, to, to help prepare. And those two families that, that, that I happened to just be like renting rooms from and staying, you know, while I was, um, in, in high school made the difference and gave me the confidence to keep going. And I then, you know, by the time I got to college, um, I chose a college that was more like, I didn't want fraternities or extracurricular. I am like, I wanted to focus. I'm like, I'm paying my money. I'm like, I want it to be where I'm going to, you know, get something out of it. And so I think um, that was good, except for the fact that it was, you know, at, um, I was going to school for computer information systems. It was majority men. And so there was a lot of bias towards women and what they were capable of. You know, I did get challenged a lot of like, did you really do this? Like, you know, is this, um, are these your scores or are you getting help? And, and I, you know, the funny part about, I think about it later is that I you went to school for that. Um, and I was a software developer for almost eight years. I never had a computer. I never, I never owned a computer. I didn't get a laptop until I was 25, I think, or no, maybe no older. I was 27. So I, I did all that and went to, you know, and I have to just like go to the lab and just like, anytime I could, you know, spare time to go do my homework or to, to practice and stuff. Cause I didn't have, uh, I, I was just, you know, really poor. <laughs> oh. that, that's incredible. That's amazing. So how, what would you say when you were going through these things, when you were, uh, 
in these positions where you had to face hardships that people don't have to face until much later in life uh, and you had these support systems how would you uh, how would you face these things how would you what would you say to yourself to face these things and uh, how would you build your confidence within yourself and trust in the support that you had to pursue new things you know i when i was young i don't think i necessarily had that because there you know when you um when you live in a certain environment where and i've i've said this in a couple things that typically a poor area where there's a lot of hardships and you're used to hardships it's a push down culture versus a lift up and misery loves company and people kind of want you to feel bad about yourself and make you feel like you're not capable so I was very used to that. And um, I think I, I, at the time, had a very timid personality. And I knew that school and education was the only way I was going to get myself out of the, that environment. And luckily, I did have a couple um, uh, people that I looked up to, like my, my great aunt. Um, she was somebody that I admired. Um, she um, had, you know, um, um, she had a lot of physical um, um handicaps and she was, uh, um, she couldn't walk, uh, for like a whole year. She was paralyzed and they didn't know why. And they told her she could never walk or dance again. And she did, she did both. And she, um, she never married and she lived her life very independently. And she was an artist and she traveled the world and she had her own career and took care of herself. And when I saw that, like, it made me feel like, Hey, if she could do it, I could do it too. So when I, even though I was living, still living in this environment, I looked at her of like the art of the possible, like I can get myself out. And she highly pushed me to, to get an education. And when my, um, when I actually got, you know, le uh, left by my parents, I was in Utah. I just happened to be visiting a cousin for, um, for vacation and they, they didn't come back for me. And I, that was a big shock to the system. Like I had known all these people, my, my, like I grew up in this one neighborhood my whole life. And I had, it took me a long time to get a certain set of friends because I was so shy. And then all of a sudden I was going from um, kind of an urban area in Los Angeles to this uh, rural area in Utah. So not only was it like a cultural shock, but it was like, I didn't have my friends. I didn't have my family. I felt like I was like in the twilight zone. Like one minute I was there, the next minute I was over there. And I never even saw those people again. I didn't see even my, my parents for like a year or two later. Um, and that really changed my pers um, perspective on things. It made me look at myself and I'm like, this, this, this person who is so shy and feels like, you know, you, you can't do anything. I'm not going to survive in this. Like, I'm not going to be able to make it if I keep that personality. So I decided, which sounds weird, that I'm going to like make up a, a different personality. I'm going to be a different ginger. So I decided I was going to be this outgoing rebellious, just like I can do anything person. Cause nobody knew me. Like, like I just was happened to be in this area and not a single person knew me. So I was like, I'm just going to be this, this brand new ginger who's going to be able to accomplish anything. And I had to fake it till I make it. And, but I think that, that, um, that time that I did that and I just like kind of willed my way through, um, becoming this different personality. I, eventually started to be that. And it got me through like a lot of the hardships and everything. And I had to then kind of scale it back because I maybe got a little too rebellious or like too bold on things and realized that, you know, holding on to some of the, um, the anger that you have of the, the hardships that you do encounter doesn't do you any good. Like 
being a victim is not going to change your life. Like you, the only person who could change your life is yourself. And most of the time when things happen to you, it's not because anybody's doing anything to you. Those people are having a hard time themselves and you're basically in the blast radius of whatever has gone on. And so if you take that away, if you take that personal, like somebody did something to you, it's, it's a freedom there. And then you realize that like, I can do whatever, like nobody's stopping me, but me. And that really was a big, um, I guess, milestone or a big inflection point in my life that made me really change the course of things. And then when I did that, I also noticed like so many opportunities of other people helping me, like families that were like, wanted to, to give me, you know, like, let me stay there for a little bit or, or help me, you know, get a, a course in college or like when I had to get in, um, enroll myself in high school when you're, when you're a teenager and you're, you're supposed to have your parents enroll you, like I'd have people help me out. And so I, when I, when I changed my, um, I guess, uh, perception and my, my like, uh, approach, people changed their approach to me. And that really opened up a lot of opportunities for myself. And it did, um, continued on in my, my, my career. Like every time there was some kind of different moment and I was always ready to seize it. And I think, um, that's been a big reason for success, like all throughout my life. That's incredible. I can't think of a lot of us who can, who can relate to the experiences you've been through because of the hardships you've been through. And it's, it's, it's deeply encouraging to see that despite all the pressure that was put on you, you've, you've come out of that in such an amazing way. And, uh, that's very, very inspiring. I wanted to ask you, um, having been through these hardships that came because of people that were important to you in your life or that people that trust you trusted and um, how, how did you feel confident in trusting these new people who were becoming your support systems, who, who in the end were the people that helped you uh, go through these events that brought you to where you are today? Yeah, I think it's so in the beginning, like I admit, like it hardened my heart. Like, you know, I, I was, I carry, carried in, um, this bitterness and I drove the bitterness bus for a bit, you know, and, and you can get really, um, out of control with that. And that's where it becomes really, um, damaging to yourself and to, to others. And so I was lucky that er, like early, you know, um, I think by the time I was 17 or 18, I kind of had that epiphany of like, what am I, this, this is not helping me. And, um, then when I did that, I saw people that there was nice people, like everybody's not trying to hurt you. Everybody's not, you know, mean there's, yes, there's, there's people out there. And again, I don't think there's people out there who try to be cruel, but the most of the time it's just people who are having a hard time themselves. And when you, when you see that, that they're just hurting themselves and not meaning to hurt you, you can start to see all the, the the good people around you and that there's there's positive intent. And I think when you do that, it, it allows you to see more beauty in the world than the ugliness. And I try to focus really hard on the positive, the intent, the positive intent, the 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 beautiful people, and realize that especially if you do that, like then you're not only receiving, you're giving because you're you're wanting to to help and you wanted to pay it forward because then you, you've actually, uh, received, I guess, love, support, those kind of things. Um, and, and I did, and that's why I think now I, I love working in a people business because I had so many people help me along the way. And I, that's the most gratifying part of my job is how much I'm able to influence or, or help others pay it forward. Because I know just like those moments changed my life. Like, 
If somebody didn't do that and didn't notice me and didn't see something in me that I didn't see myself, where would I be? So everybody always like, I always find it funny or weird or like, oh, gender, you're so strong. You did this. And I'm like, no, it's because somebody gave me a chance and somebody saw me and I received it. And so like, we need to always do that. We need to always be like keeping our eyes open and looking. And I think it's really, you know, it's, it's different than um, what I, I guess executives or, or leadership does. Like so easy to look at numbers or KPIs or results and stuff like that. And when you're in the people business, like you really need to see who you're talking to on the other side and see what they're capable of, what they're going through that day, you know, um, how we can, you know, help come together and, you know, create joint wins. And it's the same thing with customers. That's why I think it's, you know, great. Like we're not just doing it on our side because we're providing a lot of services, but we're doing it for the customers. Like if we help them, you know, build their product or, um, you know, execute whatever it is on their vision, we're making a difference in their, their company. And then that makes a difference in a million, you know, a bunch of other people's lives because all those people work at that company. And just think of like the legs it has of the difference you can make. Like, that means some people can, you know, get homes or actually have a family. Like a lot of people don't think of it that way. They think of it like, oh, I can execute this and I'm going to be able to, you know, generate this much revenue or this much profit. Like I do, you know, as a CEO, I have to think about those things, but I do think about a lot of like, the human aspect of it, like how much you're actually touching people's lives. That's incredible. To be empathetic with the other person on the receiving end is very important. And that that's important as a human skill, as well as a professional skill. Yeah. Uh, in the workplace, as you mentioned, um, I was, uh, I wanted to ask you for, uh, for these people to provide the support system uh, to you, they would have had to notice you and they would have had to notice the work. <laughs> yeah. And they would have had to notice the uh, performance that you're capable of and that potential that you had within you. So how did you put yourself out there to showcase what you were capable of to these people? I think, you know, if you if you care a lot, people notice. So I, I have um, when I was younger, caring a lot was a bad thing, you know, because it means that you can get hurt. People can hurt you. Um, but somehow or other, I never let that go. Like I never wanted to stop caring or just become that, that, that person, that, um, callous person. And so I've cared about everything I do about the, um, what I put into it. So I've always, um, been probably a little, you know, a little OCD as far as like wanting to really strive to be my best. I, you know, cared a lot what, um, like, oh, if not only what I do, but how does that affect others? Because, you know, sometimes people forget that. It's like, it's not just the work you do. If you don't do a good job, you may be um, uh, like preventing somebody else from being able to do their part of the job. So I never wanted to, there was some element of me not wanting to disappoint. So it, it pushes me to try really hard. And I think other people had seen that. They saw how much, even if I didn't do it perfectly, how much I was willing to just like throw myself into it and with the right passion and, and care. And I think that's half the battle. Like caring is, is like a lot, like it's so easy to just, you know, like, ah, I got to do this. I got to do that. And, you know, it doesn't really mean anything. I, I come in the morning and I check out at the end of the day, like the Flintstones. <laughs> and, um, but you know, if you, if you really care about your job and you care about the others and you want to make it enjoyable, that's why when you're talking about, like, when I go into meetings or do anything, like I try to make it fun. I <laughs> like, I, I try to treat people as if they're my, my friends and family, because that's, I don't, I'm not necessarily much different outside my life uh, at work than I am inside, because that's what to me makes it, you know, um, more uh, enjoyable. Like it's going to make the, those things, you know, the times where it's hard, 
they're going to be easier if you, you know, have uh, friends in the process. And when, when you can, you know, crack a joke or like, oh, we're going to, you know, blah, blah, blah happened, you know, but we're going to get through this. It's easier to kind of climb that, that hill and sometimes mountains. That's incredible. Let's go through uh, some of the things that you've achieved in your life that, that we've seen. You have an incredible, incredible resume. Uh, anyone that sees your achievements, uh, the things you've done, the people you've led, the teams you've led, uh, they're all inspiring. And uh, I wanted to take this chance to go through those different circum, those different uh, points in your life and ask you like where you were mentally when you did those things, what drove you to achieve them and uh we can even talk about the support systems that enabled you to get there and the people that were there in your life that were important okay. in those moments. Um, so you talked about going through, going to university and the family that helped you think about pursuing uh, computer uh, science and pursue programming. Uh, but you, you mentioned uh, in our conversation earlier that before you uh, knew anything about technology, you wanted to become a wildlife biologist. Yeah, forever. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about that. Like what what uh, what drove your interest in wildlife and in biology and to the point where you were passionate about it for a career? Well, I, I loved animals. Like I always loved animals and um, my mom did too. And I was super passionate about horses too. Like um, the moment I saw a horse, I was just infatuated. And I was lucky enough that even though we were poor, um, they, we lived in an area that was more, um, um, they, they call it Fontucky. It was like a, an urban area, but yet there was still a lot of like farmland and stuff like that. And so I got to have a horse when I was uh, young and just, you know, when you talk about empathy, like animals have, they feel so much of like, um, how you, you know, like what you're putting off and they can also soothe you. And, you know, there's, there's a, you know, a, a um, equine therapy or others, like there's a reason for it because it, it does kind of help you through, um, you know, traumatic things because it just kind of absorbs some of your, you know, your energy. And so I loved how animals were and how like they, they would care about you no matter, you know, who you were, or what bad day or how much money you had or, or anything like that. So, um, that made me want to, uh, preserve them, you know? And so, um, especially, you know, as you know, it, you started to see more and more, um, animals and, and species becoming extinct in our environment and stuff. I, I wanted to kind of, you know, be a Jane Goodall type person where I was, you know, helping make a difference and, um, especially having a horse, having to learn a lot of those things and stuff. And then when I got to learn about science, um, I just loved it. Like, um, it, it was nice to know that you could put a formula to something that like things made sense because um, especially when, you know, your life doesn't always make sense. It's nice to know certain things make sense. And so those things um, really gave me comfort <laughs> and that's how I wanted to kind of apply making a difference because at that time I didn't trust humans. I thought humans were like not great, but I thought animals were lovely. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, uh, I just got a couple guinea pigs recently and I totally <laughs> I had them as a, as a kid. <laughs> yeah, they, they've taught me a lot about empathizing with animals. And I, I feel so bad about some of the ways we, like, we've we come um, in terms of industries that the yeah. way they treat food, like animals as food products or um, they're just not I treated. I was vegetarian for a few years and then um, and then I came to California and I, I went to In-N-Out Burger. And so. <laughs> 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 oh. 
but I, I totally understand where you're coming from when you say like when you have animals around you and when you spend time with them you truly build a sense of empathy for them yeah. you see them in a different light you don't see them as resources or foreign uh living beings you just you see them as some some people you can build relationships with or not people yeah. but like organisms you can build relationships with when I, when I would have a hard day, I would always went back to the stables and like, you know, if I was crying or I was upset as a kid, I'd go back and my, my horse, even though he was a wild thing, he would come and he would just rest his head on my shoulder and he would like nibble and give me little kisses. And he would just sit there until he knew that I didn't need it anymore. And I thought it was like the best thing in the world. You know? <laughs> I can't even imagine the feeling. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, I mean, a lot of times people just, I mean, you think about it, like people want to be comforted in some way and know that it's going to be okay. And um, if people can do it, but so can animals. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask if you had the chance of pursuing wildlife uh, uh, biology uh, and if you weren't in the tech industry, uh, what would your life be like today? Where would you be living and what would you be pursuing? <laughs> yeah, that, that is a question. I, I, I do think about that. Like, what would it be like? Um, I definitely probably wouldn't be uh, with a bunch of makeup and a, a blazer and wearing jewelry. I, you know, when I, when I was a teenager, uh, like I was more, you know, a granola, if you were like, I just wore t-shirts and jeans and had, you know, I had wear my hair in a ponytail. I didn't wear makeup. I was more, you know, um, I don't know, uh, uh, tough and rumbly, I guess. <laughs> but I think, um, I think it probably would, um, you know, be a lot more, uh, reserved in my uh, like uh, less like you know when you when you get into the point of um building your career and tech industry is like there's just a lot of things it's not just you know um uh it's a lot of new services a lot of you know new people it's moving fast it's you know it's uh, uh competitive um i think in wildlife biology or things move a lot slower. Anything in that kind of, you know, science, science moves a lot slower. Things a lot, take a lot more time. You need to have a lot more patience. You need to give up a lot more, like, because it's not the most um, high paying jobs in the world. You know, you're doing it for, you know, you're giving for a reason. And I do have um, some regret of that, of like, look at my life now with like, Michael, like, oh, I got so much stuff. <laughs> Like if I, if I were, I'm like, I want to have all these things and I probably wouldn't need all these things, but I do, I don't think it, there was also anything wrong with it. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of like, we love our gadgets and we love, you know, our stuff, but I do um, think that it's good to kind of recognize that and recognize the, the nature part of things and um, uh, be a little bit more mindful of it. And I, I, I do try to take account of that every now and then of like, like how much am I over here versus where I would have been, you know? Um, but yeah, I don't Did know if I answered the question. I think it'd be less. I'd be a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> well, what would you say are things that you learned from that part of your life that still guide you? I'd say empathy would definitely be one. Yeah, I think um, empathy and, you know, it's helped me a lot on my career of, when, when those things happen, like, you know, number of challenges along the way, I had to learn quickly, like, what is a path to solution? Like, what, what resources do I have? What ability do I have to kind of get myself out or whatever it happened to be? But I was never willing to accept 
that this is the way like, oh, I just going to have to be in this situation or, or because this happened to me, this is what everybody else does. I'm like, I was constantly trying to find a way to what I wanted my end goal to be. And so it made me very, um, uh, I, I don't know, like I just had to be kind of scrappy about things and you, you know, somewhat, some of it is intuition. Some of it is just, you know, uh, looking at what you have and being the most efficient as possible and just trying to drive, which it sounds funny because it's like project management, drive to that critical path to what's going to be a solution. So I think my constant wanting to find a way, fix things, make things better, um, not saying uh, uh, yes to something that people always tell me that is, is you know, what you, you have to do. I, I find my own unique ways that I think is looking at the situation and looking at the people, the resources, otherwise, and, and making a, a, a creative solution out of that versus, oh, an MBA program told you, you need to do these things this way. And like, because every situation is different. And I think having those kind of, um, I guess, street smarts a little bit on the way I apply uh, my, my business solutions or anything else has really, um, gave me the, that those are the tools I use for my success, I guess. Um, and I think it's a bit different than what other people do, because a lot of times it's based on a lot of foundational things they they've learned from, from school or otherwise, and there's nothing wrong with that. And some of the, this, it's the same stuff, but I just don't take it as there's only three, four ways that things are done. I look at every situation as unique. So would you say that some of the experiences that you've had since they came from real life experiences, not designed for a classroom, mm -hmm. uh, they've, they helped you learn these skill sets with more nuance and more personalization than if it yeah, was some yeah. framework that was just built for a course that you learned to check mark, uh, like a credit on your, <laughs> through your university career. So, so would, would you say that your experience with, uh, wildlife biology would have been different if you'd pursued it as a, if you'd pursued education in that field? Yeah, because you, you have to, um, there, like science, there is a lot of, you know, it's, it's like the difference between cooking and baking, you know, <laughs> like I'm probably more cooking in my career versus science. You know, if I was a wildlife bi biologist, I'd be more baking. Um, right. but I think, um, there's also an element of like, when you're doing that, like if you look at, um, and have seen any of the documentaries on like on Jane Goodall, like, she was watching and learning and there was a lot of things written already, but based on what she saw in her experiences, she was, you know, coming to her own deductions of like how, um, uh, the, the, the monkeys and everything lived in what their habits were. And cause there was like, oh, they don't, you know, uh, there was a lot of preconceived notions of, uh, what, uh, primates had, you know, were capable and what feelings they had and what, you know, notions of family and stuff like that. And so she, wrote that and made a, you know, a new, um, you know, perspective on that. So I do think there's an element of being able to use your own um, views and design, like ability to see those design patterns versus people who told you what the design patterns are. And so, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm probably cooking a little bit more. <laughs> so, so what led you uh, towards tech? How did, how did your transition happen from wildlife biology to technology? Yeah, it's what you said in the intro. Um, I was, you know, I always knew I had to um, do really well in school to to get a um, get a degree or to get into college, 
And I was doing that. I was in the gate program. I had, you know, uh, always had somewhere between a 3.9 and a 4.0 GPO. And then when my mom left me, um, I, it was a shock and I took a, a dip down. And when I became that alter personality of like rebellious, but, um, um, outgoing version of myself, I also let some of my education go because, you know, it's hard to do everything and work and, and kind of just absorb all of that. So I ended up taking a dip and I was like one point off from being able to get into the college that I wanted. Um, so I, the last year I took the dip and then by the end of the year, I kind of like shook myself off and I'm like, I'm not doing myself any good by um, being this way. And I got my GPA back up, but yeah, I was a little short. And that's when the the history teacher, because um, I was his his favorite, <laughs> and he was the one who told me to go to that computer programming class. And then he told me like, Ginger, you can do this. I think you actually would do well. Um, and you know, there's a lot of jobs because obviously, you know, at that time in the '90s, um, it was you know starting to to boom and everything. And so that's I was like, I saw what people could make, and I'm like all right, let's do this. Why that, why the heck not? And I, um, left, I, that's when I saved the money and that, that, um, family helped me apply for college. And then I got on a plane and came back to California and, and went to school. Very nice. Very nice. And, um, how would you say that your life would have been different today or your career choice would have been different today had those, uh, difficult moments not have transpired in your life? Oh, hundred percent. I, I, I feel like I have, a few where there was a, you know, an if, if or that, you know, um, this could have happened or that could have happened. And most like one of the times uh, when um, I was still trying to like find play, like when I first got, um, got left in Utah, I would like stay at different people's houses and kind of just hopped around or tried to rent rooms and things like that. And I was trying to rent a room from a family's house and um, I didn't quite have the the money and they, I did an interview and it was like 50 bucks a month to rent this room, you know, <laughs> and, but I didn't have it. You know, I was kind of short at the time and they told me no. And I went back to my car and I was just crying. I was like, what am I going to do? I'm going to have to like, you know, and I lived in my car like here and there, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to, you know, ha have to do this for whatever period of time. And they came back out. And they're like, we're going to give it, we're going to give it a, a, a chance. Like, we're not sure, but we're going to just give you a chance and come on in. And they're the ones who let me stay. They, they're the ones who got me into the college class. They were the ones who helped me get into high school in that area. And then I graduated and that's when I got my, my grades back up. So when they, they, they gave me that help and they saw something in me and gave me a chance, I, I took it and I started to turn my life around. And before then I was kind of starting to go down the other direction. And it was that family that, that made a, a big difference. And then the other family, when I was trying to save for college, like I could not went to college and they pushed me to do so. And I've had a, a few of those and just even, you know, how I became a business, um, owner. It was that, that person who, um, I got, he gave me a job and I, Never did it before. I never had been a program manager of a, a software development project for a consulting company. Never done all, any of those things. But I did my whole, I'm like, well, I'm just going to pretend like I'm that person. <laughs> and I'm going to do it because I got into that survival mode of like, I have no other choice. Like I'm in like, I was in a lot of debt at the time because it was the recession. And I was like, if I don't do this, then I don't know what's going to happen. So I just kind of got in that mode. And 
I did really well. And he saw something in me. And then he's the, he's the one who was like, I'm going to train you. I'm going to show you everything I know. And cause I, I think you can, you can do it and you can be somebody. And then I did it and I did all the things that he expected and more. And he, you know, then made me his business partner. And then later on, we um, started our own. Um, we co-founded with a, another, you know, couple of um, partners and that changed the course of my life. That's incredible. Are you still in touch with these families uh, who were part of your childhood? Um, the family that helped me go to college, I am. Um, so the other family I have lost uh, touch with, um, but uh, yeah, she still, um, that family still sends me Christmas cards every, uh, and birthday cards. Um, I wish I was as good as sending them back, but I still say hi and, and keep in touch with them. They're, they're an amazing family. That's incredible. It must be very gratifying and they must be so proud of you to see where you've come today. Yeah. And I, you know, quite frankly, I don't even know if they know that, like, you know, uh, we're, we're like what I've accomplished now. We don't necessarily talk about, they're just like, Hey, Ginger, how are you? You know? Um, but I don't talk about my successes. <laughs> I hope they'll listen to this podcast and then they'll get a little. <laughs> yeah. It'd be kind of funny. Like I never, I never asked them or thought about that, you know? <laughs> Oh, that's that's incredible. Thank you so much for diving into your personal life and for telling us about these tough things uh, that uh, that people have uh, a challenge maybe talking about in in public on a forum like this. And so, thank you. That that we really appreciate it. I, I wanted to I wanted to divert this conversation towards uh, your life today, or or yeah, maybe maybe very uh, maybe further into your career once you'd already achieved a management level position. You were handling a team and you were guiding them to achieve uh, big things like engineering or like when you were leading your own company. Um, so tell me a little bit about, actually tell me what was the first team you ever managed and um, how, what was your management style back then? And like, how has that evolved since then? Well, that, that, the first team I ever managed was that that team that um, I got um, that, I, that I was telling you about that I had to fake it kind of till I make it like I, um, that the company was only a couple people and they basically got this huge deal. Um, and it was with a, a really big name and they're like, all right, we sold something that we don't have. And they, they hired me to, to build out the team and to run the team. And, um, I, so I had to hire a bunch of people and then I had to quickly, because we were behind because we were supposed to have already had the team, like, um, essentially get to the point where we can have demos and stuff. And so it was very stressful and the, the customer was a tough critic um, demanded a lot and changed his mind a lot. Um, <laughs> so it, it was a lot of therapy sessions. It was a lot of the empathy thing was like, I had to use that right away because I had to be supportive. Um, I also, even though I wasn't necessarily doing the, the coding, like I stuck there with them like long nights or otherwise I would be the one testing and helping them and just, you know, kind of make sure that they, we were in this together and then knowing when it was too much to kind of, you know, uh, let off and when I needed to push on the customer more. Um, so it, it really taught me diplomacy, empathy, and the, the human side right away, because like these people were giving, you know, because they also, you know, it was a, a tough economy at that time. So everybody really cared about, keeping a job and, you know, making money and stuff like that. And so I wanted them to, to be successful also. And I knew how much pressure they had, but that pressure could, can really like 
just, you know, feel like it's going to um, crush you. So it's important to, to balance that. So people don't feel like they're, they're holding it all on their own and you're load balancing amongst the team. You know? <laughs> so uh, I think I, I, I learned that, that, um, and I, I still try to do that now. Like you should never, no matter what level you're at, be um, unwilling to get your hands dirty and to like it, like everybody should be willing to pick up pieces, do things and stuff like that. Don't, don't just put it on one person just because they're the primary person who could do it. See how you can help that. That means a lot to, to folks when, you know, cause otherwise, yeah, the, I've seen people where they can, they can really crack under the pressure because when you, especially in consulting, like, you know, you want to do a good job, it, it's you're selling you and your service. So it, it can be tough at times. It can be challenging. How did you find your place in that when you first started consulting? Like when you start a new role like this, uh, sometimes there's a there's a break-in period, right? Like where you feel mm-hmm. like, am I the right person for this role? Or if you've never had the experience of doing this, like this exact moment where I've never done a podcast before. <laughs> right before we started, I, I was asking myself, am I the right person for this role? Yeah, you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> but I imagine you 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 probably had those moments in your life as well. Uh and you and all the time. You know? <laughs> so, so how did you uh, how did you deal with those moments? So dealing with those moments, um, I you, there's a little bit of you need to believe that you're going to get there. And um, you're like, all right, I don't have all the answers now, but I'm sure they'll come to me. And I have faith in my abilities that I can bridge the gaps. And I do think it makes a huge difference if you have a team or you have a support system that believe in the same. And so if they, even if they don't know the answers, if they all believe like, you know what, we're going to find the answers and we're going to, we're going to do it together. So I always tell people like, um, you know, we're going to all fall. We're not going to do everything perfectly, but it's really about your ability to, rather than, you know, kick them or, you know, put dirt on them, like pick the person up, dust them off. And like, we got this and you keep moving. And I think if you have that security of knowing you have a group around you who can do that, you have more confidence to like try and to fail. Um, and I think in particular, like I've had to do that so much in my life and I've had things be there for, for a second and then be gone the next. I, I'm not so afraid to, you know, to go dive in because like you never know when something's going to be there and when, uh, you know, your whole life can change. So why are you not going to, you know, live every opportunity you have? Like, I, I have you heard the, um, the song, um, the Shakira song, Try Everything? Yes. <laughs> I love that song. It's like, because it's all about that. Like you may, you know, try and fail and stuff like that, but I'm going to, I'm going to try everything. I'm going to like soak up every moment. I'm going to do everything. And I think having that kind of mentality and knowing that you have people around you support and want to do the same you can do so much. It's, 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 it's crazy. Like what just that kind of, um, uh, support system can do for you. And was this mindset and this support system, what drove you to wanting to, uh, pursue like a founding venture, like sturdy networks? Um, so I didn't want to actually do it because, um, at the time I was still like, so I was so conservative of like, and it wasn't even very much money. And I'm like, Ooh, I'm like, I don't want to like, 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 I was like, you know, storing pennies, like, you know, when you don't have money and then you have money, you're like, I want to be very careful with all of it. Um, but they, they told me to have a leap of faith. And so they were the ones who kind of carried me forward and like, Ginger, you, you know, we got this, we can do this. And I'm like, eh, all right. And then when we started getting, um, 
momentum and I saw the the possibilities, then I started being the one I'm like, dude, we could do way more than what you guys are even thinking. I'm like, we're not thinking big enough. Like we need to like go at this. And we started to shift our, um, our priorities of like the weight. Cause we, we had, um, three businesses at the time we had a UI UX business, we had a software development business, and then we had the, uh, cloud consulting, uh, side and the UI UX was starting to become a flooded market. It was, um, and that my business partner was really starting to kind of, um, get into this retirement mode. So he wasn't putting as much time into it. So we started shifting over and I'm like, all right, let's restructure our organization to where we were going to be more efficient and more effective and put more eggs in the basket of this business that was very tiny in comparison to the rest of our businesses. But I'm like, it has the most possibility. And we did. And one year later, we got um, acquired. Wow. That's, that's amazing. Well, congratulations okay. on like going through that, but also having the foresightedness, even when it was so, uh, and it was just growing when it was in its early growth stages to see what it could have. Uh, well, I didn't, but that's, a, that's the point. Like I didn't, but somebody else saw it for me. And then right. later on I saw that like it could be more. So this is to me like that team effort. So even though you may not see something at the time, like, but other per person could believe for you. And then you, uh, you know, hopefully you don't want that to only be a single person. Like if you're in a team environment, you need to shift those kind of, you know, rules and days around because we all have our good and bad days. And, and so you hope that the, the time that you're all down, that's not good. <laughs> you know, you, you hope you have a cheerleader and an inspiring person for the, the times that you're feeling a bit low or, you know, not necessarily having the same vision and faith uh, as, as others. I totally agree. I, I think I can relate to this from the point of view of working out, right? Like sometimes we go to the gym and we're trying to do a set and it might be too heavy, like the weight might be too much or you've never done it before and you'd get in your own mind like saying, I, I don't think I can You're do like, this. Yeah, I'm just going to take the easy button. <laughs> It'd be like you're a friend or your hype man and you can piggyback off of their confidence and then the risk of failure yeah. just doesn't seem as, as mighty, right? No, that's that's yeah. incredible. Uh, what would you say were some of your biggest challenges uh, when your role shifted from a management role, but still as an employee to now running a company and being responsible for people? I think, and this is a hard time when you become a leader, it's, you know, if you were a really good doer, like, you know, you were very successful at like, I know how to get things done. I know how to do that job. People see me and admire me in that job and role. When you start becoming a leader, you start shifting those things to other people. It's not about you, it's about them. And sometimes that that transition can be hard for people because they're used to being that um that that the the person saving or the person, you know, doing all those things. And when when they see like, well, I could just do it faster. And so they end up doing themselves, but like you're not teaching anybody, you're not doing anything, you're not leading. And I and that's the important part as you kind of shift over to a leader that it becomes more of a public service job. It's not you and your accomplishments. It's about their accomplishments. And, and you're the person who's advocating and elevating them to be the best they can be. And then you all succeed together. So you you kind of change this, this role and the, the skill sets to more of how can I help them? How can I unblock them? How can I make them be the best they can be? Wow. And, and how did you do this for so many people? Like uh, your sturdy networks or other <laughs> places where you've... Uh, led people before like Annika or like here at Kaylin. Um, well, you don't start with like hundreds of people. I mean, you start with a few people and then you do it and then, you know, that becomes bigger and bigger. And, um, and then, you know, when, once you learn the tools and the ways, like 
a few people, uh, 50 people, a hundred people, 500, you know, like it doesn't become that much different and you don't see like there are, um, they, they kind of, you know, they say these S curves and stuff like that of organizational growth. And so there are like levels of maturity and how you, uh, shift responsibilities and how you create infrastructure and sure, but it's like your ability to support people and to provide development and mentorship. I don't think those things necessarily change and they shouldn't to me, like I, I want to give more empowerment to, to people, but you shouldn't be like, this is your job or like, you know, your problem or your like, it, I, I still try to keep the mentality of like an us, a them versus, you know, uh, you. Um, so I, I think that's an important thing of like, don't lose those kind of aspects. Like I, no matter different sizes, of the organizations I worked at, I always think of it as a family business. It's just a bigger family. <laughs> Extended cousins, second, third, fourth cousins. Mm. <laughs> well, I have extended cousins in my family and sometimes I can't remember their names. So like that happens. <laughs> so when your family or in this case, a company grows to a point where uh, say you were managing 10 to 15 people before, which is still a substantial number, but you can maintain some level of direct involvement in their. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But when you go from that to managing, let's say now 300 people at Kalen, uh, like how does, how have you thought about, institutionalizing or uh, or uh, incorporating some of these values that you have as a leader about like having empathy for the people that work for you leading uh, as a group collectively towards a goal instead of blaming people or holding people accountable for things how do you make that part of a system where people from uh, people with different perspectives who may not necessarily have this same uh, mindset as you yeah so you know the the key is like it's not about cloning yourself and you're not, you know, um, it's, it's, it becomes way less about you. It becomes about the the leaders that you hire. And I, I think it's not even um, senior leadership as much as uh, team leads and directors and stuff like they're the ones who are really making a difference. So it's really important to invest in them and to make sure that you are hiring and training with the same uh, value system and the, uh, the, the things that you know have made you successful, try to translate that, but then let them to put their own flavor on it. Like, you know, because I think that to me, culture and environments change with the people that come in it. So the moment in time of like where Keenla started, you know, a year or two years from now, we're, we're changing like the, you know, because all the people in it are changing. So we have to kind of take assessment all the time, but if you can let it change in a, a bad way, if you will, of what was, you know, you found what made you special, based on the type of leaders that you you hire, I think. Right. And so, so how do you make sure that they're uh, even accounting for the differences in personalities, they all head uh, towards a towards a constructive and positive result for the business? I, I do try to have like the way we in, you know, it does get harder to, to scale that. But like right now, like the the directors and even the, the delivery managers and stuff, like they do have, you know, uh, regular meetings together, you know, where they have a uh, um, shared knowledge, thought sharing, you know, kind of uh, a bit of d democracy of the way we kind of develop things. And same thing, you know, as far as they get together, no matter if it's different practice leaders or not, to kind of understand here's the way that we're thinking, here's the challenges we're facing, here's the successes that we're having, so that we can, you know, learn from each other, and then try to create 
the same common um, um, processes, you know, um, uh, policies, insert another P. (laughs) But I think it is really important that you have them working together as a team. Uh, I had joked when I came on as um, the the delivery leader, because I, you know, I had to step in, you know, now I have some leaders under me. And I had talked to, we just had a few directors at the time, and I referred to them as the Knights of the Round Table. I'm like, we're all equal here. We're, you know, let's all treat and respect each other. And that we all have, you know, uh, input on what we're going to make, you know, a difference on the delivery organization as a company. So I tried to make sure everybody does things in the same same way. And even, you know, the executive team, like, we're more here to listen than to try to tell people what to do. Like, Like a good leader will be listening more than dictating, I think. If you were to give, provide advice to people that are leading other people in companies today or that aspire to become leaders, what would be the top two things you would say leaders should aspire to? Don't forget that they're humans. <laughs> um, it's so easy to read numbers and, you know, like uh, we have 310 people at Kalen or we have X this and that, like they're all, those are all humans behind those numbers. And I think don't forget that and get a chance to talk to people and, and um, hear from them directly to kind of reinforce some of your decisions versus, you know, I'm a huge um, advocate of data. Like I love data and I think you can make smart decisions from that, but I think you, you know, data along with conversations, um, understanding the people basically, you know, come together as a good decision. If you just, you know, do one or the other, you know, you're probably not going to, you're going to miss some pieces. So I I would say it's really important to, to talk to people and not to forget that, you know, it's, it's, especially when you're in consulting that people are your product. So treat them with respect and understand that, you know, we're all living lives and we're not just, you know, Joe, the architect and Ginger, the da da da, like, you know, we're, we're, we're humans working together. That's, that's incredible. I hope people that listen to the podcast um, take note of that and then they, they learn to treat, treat, treat each other like they want to be treated themselves. And, yeah, and uh, the only other thing that I would say that for me, I think it's really important is that when you're looking at um, challenges, opportunities, otherwise, look at them uniquely. Look at, look at all the things, look at all the components and, you know, the, the resources you have, the people that are involved, the environment, the economy, all those kind of things. And come up with a unique solution. Don't just apply the same things of like, oh, this company did this or that company did that. Or I read that, like, I do think it makes a big difference because like these are living, breathing things. And together, those those components can either be something great, uh, you know, or it can really just fall apart because you applied the, you know, the wrong recipe to the situation. So at this point in the podcast, I kind of wanted to divert uh, the topic towards something that's very pressing. And I had the first chance to uh, uh, hear about this on our Breaking Through the Cloud podcast where you you spoke with Connie. And it was about uh, women in the workplace. And and since you worked in the technology industry at a time when things were not so great uh, in terms of equality and equity and uh, men and women having an equal platform. And so I just wanted to hear from you. What were your experiences like? What are some of the things that you went through and what are the lessons you learned from them? Yeah, I, I had said on the um, the other uh, um, uh, Breaking Through the Cloud that 
I basically, you know, got challenges the moment I, I walked into the door, you know, and in college, it was a lot of challenging if I could do it, you know, saying that I cheated and that type of thing. And then, you know, when I got my uh, uh, first job, it, it was, you know, a lot of questioning if I if I could a lot of gossiping and that type of thing. And then I also, you know, was told I couldn't have jobs because I was, you know, a girl and um, I, uh, I the, the first help desk job, you're like, no, it requires you to go underneath the desk and girls wear skirts and dresses, even though I had never wore a skirt to dress uh, to work at that time. <laughs> and so, you know, it was a lot of those things. And, and I still, you know, l- luckily not so much anymore, but along the way, it, it was shocking how many people would say that. It was due to um, some kind of uh, like I slept with somebody or this person was, you know, flirting or, you know, uh, did, did that even though they had no no idea who I was. It was just more of I did not look the profile like not only was I a woman and why is a woman in, in, in these roles, but I didn't look like, you know, some of the women they would see in these roles. Um, and so it was it was just easier for them to make those kind of um assumptions. And I think, you know, at the time it, it, it felt just hurtful, but I think later it, it was probably because people felt um, intimidated and worried about their, their own, you know, uh, place and what did that mean? And didn't want to think that I actually just did the work and, you know, perhaps was better than them at some of those things. So, and, and then also, you know, unfortunately um, women in, um, you know, more than when I was younger in, in a, a very highly dominant workplace. And sometimes um, there, there was, you know, especially when I was uh, starting out and everything, but there's, I've been sexually harassed too, and just, you know, uh, put in, you know, uncomfortable situations and stuff. And I, at the time you, you, it seemed more like this is kind of what you deal with, you know, and as I've, you know, got more into leadership roles and stuff. And it's like, no, you don't have to deal with that. And I'm not going to let these things happen. And I started to have the, the ability and the, the, the power to create an environment where that was not going to be um, acceptable. And so um, I, you know, a few of my jobs where I saw um, people even talking down to other, other people, you know, other, you know, women um, of like making like you do this or you do that or, or making them feel, less than or stupid, I, I knock, you know, I, I become like mama bear and I like not having that. Um, so yes, it's gotten better, um, over time. And I think, you know, as, as a leader, you get to kind of help create those environments, but I can't see everything. Um, but I try to make sure through the programs that we have and the education and the types of leaders that we bring to the company that they are, you know, actually trying to do the opposite. And they're trying to create a safe environment where women and just diverse, you know, uh, folks can can thrive and feel like they they have a chance to have a career and just a, a place that they can shine and, and that it's okay. And I, I would say, I would vouch for this, that at Kaylin, uh, every person I've worked with, I think they have that sense of empathy that if yeah. you have- that, that alone would help you avoid uh, behaving like this uh, or the behaviors that you faced from other people. And uh, would you say that this is something you've noticed across the industry or 
just uh, in the world as in general, have we gone towards a place of having greater empathy for each other? Um, I, I like to think so. I mean, I, I've got to work in a, a few different environments where it was like a company that was mine. And so I got to set those things and then we got acquired and then you're seeing different, you know, mix of things. And, but, um, and then, you know, be, becoming part of a, a large company where there's pockets of probably things that are fantastic and other pockets that you're like, you have an entirely different experience in. And so I think it's been, you know, as we see, more, um, and I don't mean to be stereotypical, but I do think as we've seen more women leadership, the, the style does kind of drive from more empathy. And I think there's a lot of uh, male leaders that have a lot of empathy in them. And I think it makes it them feel more comfortable and accepting that, like, I can be this way too. Like, you know, I want to be this type of leader, but I always thought that you're supposed to be like this in order to be successful, just like we, we have. And so what I have found is a lot of um, male leaders that I work with, I think they feel more comfortable and are actually, you know, uh, digging into um, more empathetic leadership because they, they feel comfortable themselves. So, you know, um, just, you know, so it's not just women, it's also men feeling in a safe environment that they, they have the, the ability to lead the way they feel comfortable too. And I, I feel like you yourself are a powerful person and you're a courageous person. <laughs> Uh, you you dealt with these challenges in a way that's unique to you like the, uh, a lot of people would find these to be circumstances they couldn't handle you know like the pressure would be too much or the, the oh, I don't think so yeah I always I you know because that's why I think I I, I probably uh, awkwardly giggle every time you say something like that because I don't think of myself that way I think I think of myself I'm just I'm just a person I uh, you know I'm I'm ginger and I I don't try to think of myself of any better, any worse than any, anybody uh, else. I think um, most of the time we get so stuck on um, titles or accomplishments that make you feel like you're you're willing or able to do things where like that's not true. There's you don't know what you're you're capable of until you're put in a situation that you have to actually do it. Like I didn't know I was capable of a lot of those things, and it was when I I had to do it. And there was times where I was like. Oh, I'm I'm gonna break. Like the, I just can't do anymore. And then, you know, and then I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm not. So I better just get up and do it. You know. <laughs> and so I think um, a number of us, you know, have that in us, and we, you know, don't know. And I think we have it in us even more if other people believe that we can. That like you can do this, you know. Um, and I am here to help you if you're having a hard day or otherwise. And um that makes it, you know, easier. So then next time you're that person for somebody else. Incredible. During our research, uh, when we were preparing to do this podcast with you, Cynthia, our producer, um, she mentioned, she found that one of your favorite authors is Tamora Pierce. Um, yes. Yeah. And in, in her book, uh, The Song of the Lions, uh, Alana, the main character, she disguises herself as a boy uh, mm -hmm. to train for knighthood. And uh, so like, like she struggles with, fitting in because her identity is different than everyone else uh, in that environment and her gender. Yeah. Um, and so she has to hide her true self, right? Um, did, did you feel that this was something you had to do uh, through that period? Uh, I yeah, I definitely did. And I probably, when I was reading it, like it, it like, you know, touched me so much as like understanding that whole, like feeling like you have to be somebody else in order to be um, successful and to like, 
show that you have these capabilities or these, you know, um, hers was like, she has these powers and, you know, uh, but people can't know as a female that she has them. And so she has to do it through a different identity. And I did that a few times in my uh, career. And um, so I always thought it was, you know, so inspiring and it, it helped me like, you know, yes, you could do that. And eventually she showed herself, right. She showed her, you know, who she was and it was okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people, especially when you're young, you don't have that, you know, we kind of all start out, you know, especially as a teenager, you're so insecure, you know, like you're just awkward. You don't know what, you know, is, is good or bad or otherwise. And so it's really easy to be um, influenced and it's really easy to play the shame game, like to, to really, um, you know, just push yourself down and, you know, without even, and cause sometimes you want to do it first before others do because it hurts less. And so I think, you know, th this kind of armor, this different character, you know, puts you where like, well, you're not hurting ginger, you're hurting this other person. And um, yeah. And hopefully you can, you can shed that. Like it, it is, like, yes, it was a technique I used in, to survive. Would I say that people should do that? No, I hope we can create a safe enough environment where people don't feel like they have to wear that armor. Absolutely. And I, I feel like, at Kaylin, yourself, Val, uh, the people that are part of Kaylin Collective, uh, everyone's got this mandate on their mind that we need to achieve this. Uh, we need to achieve a company, but also an environment and an industry where we have this. Um, and that's very admirable. Uh, what would you say? What 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 would you say to women today that are just starting out and they want to do wildlife biology, but they see that they make more money in tech, so they want to get into tech? <laughs> so, what would you say to them today? Um, how should they lead themselves in this part of the, their journey where they're starting out, and how do they deal with modern forms of this or these issues that? you dealt with before. Like, I feel like these issues still exist today. Maybe they're not as vocal. Uh, maybe they're oh, not I as- do. Yeah, de they definitely do. And I think, um, cause when you, you know, when people like, um, even when people say like, um, all women in tech, you're like, oh, well, are you in um, uh, sales or marketing or HR? And it's like, yes, there are women in those too. And it doesn't mean that they, they aren't also uh, technical and capable. And then the ones that are actually doing um, engineering roles, they, they immediately don't assume they are. And they're like, well, they're probably not that great. Like there, there's still a lot of bias uh, with that. And I think it takes all of us to kind of, you know, make people realize that no, these individuals are very capable and could probably even do more than what you see right now. They're just, you know, they're just gaining their, their stride and it's up to us, you know, I'll use a horse like to, to let the horse run free and, you know, really uh, um, uh, see what they're capable of. Uh, so I, I think that it still exists. I think the more we have these conversations, the more we, when we come to a room, assume the, like, assume the person is amazing. Like, I think so many times people, and they, they look everybody up and down and they've already profiled everybody. Like they're already like this person's this, this person's that you never knew who that, who the CEOs in the room. Like if you do that, like you, you could be sitting right next to him and that could be, that could be a girl or, or, or anything else. I, and, and then you don't also don't know their, their backstory. Don't assume, you know, they, they, Oh, they got this cushy job because this and that, like, I think people there's, there's so much more to people than uh, we're willing to even, you know, um, let our minds be open to. 
And that's why we, we, I try to create more human dialogue and stories because um, I think you can, it opens your mind and opens, um, you know, the, the conversation. And then that also makes people feel safer to, to have um, opinions and to, to show, you know, like, like, Hey, I can do this. And, you know, versus like, if I say that, what if I say the wrong thing? And therefore I'm going to, you know, be passed up for a job or I'm going to have this scarlet letter on me because, you know, I said one thing wrong uh, at a, at a time. We, we, we need to be better about that kind of thing. Totally agree. I think that's very important for everyone listening uh, to the podcast to absorb and to, to act on in their daily life too, like, and to feel more yeah. encouraged to do so. Um, well, thank you. I think that's as good place as any to, uh, to close the podcast. Uh, I just we wanted talked to about a lot of things, Mon. We, we covered a lot of topics. <laughs> we, did. we did. And I just want to say thank you for your patience with me in running through I'm this. <laughs> no, you were fantastic. Thank you. Made me feel very comfortable. I talked a lot about, a, you know, personal things and things I haven't talked about before, but I, but I hope people, um, I, I was sharing because I want people to know that you can come from all walks of lives. You, you can have lots of different challenges and things, but different moments don't define you. You know, the, the way you come in your next moment is, is, you know, what, what makes you as, as, as a human being and your capability of dealing with the, your, your reaction to, to those challenges. And, and I, I really hope people also take that as their ability to help others because it's, it's the most, um, gratifying thing I think and you can you can do amazing all right that concludes our very first episode of cosmic conversations we hope you found it insightful and inspiring thank you so much for joining us and once again thank you to ginger for being such an incredible first guest and for setting such a high standard in terms of what people can expect from cosmic conversations we learned the importance of seeking and building a strong network and support system being empathetic to others and their circumstances to truly succeed as a leader and taking chances on others, not judging them based on limited information because people are nuanced and almost always have more to offer once you get to know them. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and a review on the platform you're listening on. And don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at podcasts at kalen.com and you can find this email address uh, provided in the description below. Thank you again and we'll see you next time.